how will the world end? People in various cultures and times have considered this question and come to their own answers. Perhaps you have a theory of your own as well. Many religions and spiritualities have a great final battle, like Ragnarok or perhaps even Armageddon. The poet T.S. Eliot considers the decline and ruin of great civilizations and writes, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. We live in a society where the threat of nuclear war and the total destruction that would bring and climate change threatens our existence day by day. And science has offered answers to us as well, that in 7.5 billion years, the sun, then an expanding red giant, will absorb the earth. And if that fate is somehow to be avoided, then we can look forward to the heat death of the universe at the end of all things. Pretty cheery stuff. Before we get to the end, though, let's consider where we've been. In each act of this drama of scripture so far, we have talked about things that have been, things that our experience of the world and the witness of those who have gone before us will confirm to be true. We know that the world was created because, well, here it is and here we are. We know that there was a fall because our hearts long for something that we cannot see and we have experienced firsthand the pain of sin. The witness of the people of Israel shows us God's covenanting love. The witness of the apostles confirm the gospel of Christ. And we together live in the time of the church and I hope know some of the goodness that that means for our lives. All of these things we can know. We can discover the truth and the goodness of and we can experience the impacts of firsthand. The final act of this drama of scripture, the consummation, which means the perfection or the completion of all things. This is the part that is yet to come. The ending of the story is still eagerly anticipated, and there is much that we do not know about the end, when it will be, how exactly it will come to pass, but this ending is by no means a surprise. When J.K. Rowling was writing the Harry Potter novels, they were riddled with religious themes, which she was hesitant to talk about in interviews. Eventually, she shared that the parallels were so obvious that she didn't want to talk about them for fear that highlighting them might show people that just wanted the story where they were going. The end of her story, she imagined, was plain if one was familiar with the Christian faith. The end of this story, too, is plain if we are familiar with the work of God and the ministry of Jesus. The end of this story, the completion of all things, is not intended to be a surprise in its nature at all, because this end is the culmination of God's desire for all creation. It is the result of Christ's reconciling work in the world. If we know who God is, we know what to expect of his still renewing work. And if we trust in Jesus, then we can trust that his very good promises will be for that day when his kingdom is made complete in every place and in every way.
But not only is it true that if we know who God is, we should anticipate how this story ends, it's also true that if we know our own hearts, we should know the kind of world that God is bringing about. The philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in things that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. And if that sounded too much like an Enlightenment philosopher for you, the Christian apologist C.S. Lewis put it this way, If I find in myself a desire for an experience in this world that cannot be satisfied, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We are longing for communion with God our Maker, that even we, though we know Jesus and follow him, have not yet fully realized. We are dissatisfied with the way that things are because they're not how they ought to be. And the longings of our hearts for love, joy, peace, kindness, and faithfulness are that these things would be more abundant than their current scarcity would suggest. And they point us to the truth of what God's work in this world is continuing to be. That the end of all things will be the realization of that which all people long for. Because God made us to experience them, and in their absence we remain unfulfilled and grasping. We wait for the goodness of God's creation to be restored. We wait not for creation to be reset how it was back in the garden, but now for the full potential of all things brought to their end as we glorify God and enjoy him forever. The scriptures use many images to describe this culmination that we anticipate. And when we use words like consummation, it draws to mind the imagery that we heard in the book of Revelation of a wedding. Even as husbands and wives consummate their marriage, making complete the things that they publicly vowed of their unity and love, so Christ and his new creation will make complete their unity and love. At the last the end that we anticipate will be far more joyous wedding feast than gory battlefield. There is a beautiful symmetry in what is promised. In creation, you'll remember that God walked in the garden with the man and the woman in the cool of the evening. And in the new creation, God fills the city as a temple, and God is the light by which all people will walk. In Christ, God changes, not in character, but in nature. The eternal Son of God is now not only truly God, but now also truly man. How strange that there is a point in history from which the eternal God is changed forever. The Son, fully man. And because of that ministry of Christ, there is also a point in the future when mortal humanity will be forever changed. For there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. God puts on mortality at the climax of this story, and by this he promises the future in which we will all be changed, the perishable clothed with the imperishable, mortals with immortality.
Yes, the ending of the story is that we will be one with Christ and he with us at last, totally and completely. This is already true in so many ways. We have already been united with Christ in our baptisms, but all of us will admit that we do not often realize the fullness of that reality. We have also been united to each other in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But still we bicker and argue. Still we form camps among ourselves and find ways to divide ourselves. We still wait for the day when Christ will be all and in all, when even natural-born enemies will live together in his peaceable kingdom. In all this, there is already something which comes to be more complete later on. And so the image of marriage is very apt in this as well. It's not that there is no unity, no love between a couple who are not yet married, that an engaged couple one day and a married couple the next experience a total transformation in their feelings. There is already love. There is already commitment and unity, but not yet the completeness. They still wait for the fullness of their relationship when their secret promises become public and when their public promises are borne out in lives of love and fidelity. It is this way also with the kingdom of God. Today, there is still turmoil and unrest, yet Christ is our peace. Today, there is still sorrow and much to lament, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. For now, there is suffering and death, but Christ is our hope, and he alone has the words of eternal life. We see the promises of the coming kingdom of God dimly as in a mirror, but we long to see them face to face. We know their goodness in part, but one day we will know fully. We experience the signs of things which are still to come in their fullness. But know by that enduring ministry of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit that they will one day surely be made complete no longer a quiet whisper of faith, hope, and love, but now a resounding chorus of angels and archangels, saints and elders of all creation, the height and the depth, singing the praise of the God whose reign is plainly seen and whose love, mercy, and justice are realized in their fullness at the last. Jesus Christ is the King this is what we remember on this day in the church calendar, Christ the King Sunday. Before all the longing of Advent, we remind ourselves that Christ is King today. Christ is King of this coming kingdom. And when that kingdom comes, Jesus tells us we will not say, look, here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is in our midst. The kingdom of God, Christ proclaims, is already among us. It is here already, yet it has not come in its fullness. Jesus says the kingdom is in the midst of those who he speaks to because he is in their midst. And inasmuch as Christ is king, so too wherever Christ is, is where his kingdom is as well. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace, and he himself is our peace. His kingdom is a kingdom of love, and God is love. 
His kingdom is a kingdom of light, and he is the light of the world. His kingdom is a kingdom of truth and life, and Jesus assures us he is these things also. We can see that the king is the first citizen of this kingdom, and he inaugurates it everywhere he is until he reigns in all places forever and ever. So our waiting for the consummation of God's work is not simply waiting for us to get to heaven, but rather anticipating when heaven and earth will be joined together, which is certainly at a time which is yet to come. But it's also today. Reflecting on Paul's encouragement in waiting for the day of the Lord, the 4th century North African bishop, St. Augustine, writes, So what is this day which the Lord has made? Live good lives, and you will be this day yourselves. We can just wait for the heavens to open and the trumpet to sound for that day of the Lord. Or we can be that day of the Lord ourselves. The day of the Lord and the peace of God can be present in our hearts today. And if we faithfully follow Jesus as our lives mirror his, so our lives will also announce that the kingdom is already in our midst that God is making all things new tomorrow, yes, but also today, and that God will dwell among us most fully in that new city, but by the work of the Spirit, also this day. As we live in Christ today, we experience and reveal his kingdom today, even while we wait for it, because Christ is the king, and Christ is the kingdom. And as we become like Christ we participate in that joyful reality of the kingdom which we do not yet see. Each place where Jesus' grace is present, where mercy reigns, where justice is finally realized, and where love is shared, every place where the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us or better forms Christ within us is a place where the kingdom has broken into our world and by which God assures us that all the parts of the story which we have heard and experienced will have a good end in Christ. Dear friends, Jesus Christ is King, not only tomorrow or some distant day, but also here and now. And his kingdom is already at hand, though we do not see it fully. One day we certainly will, and God and people will be united at the last, the joy of our Father's heart and the longing of our lives realized on that great day of the Lord. Until that time, we together remember its goodness. We hold on to its promises, and we experience their presence in our lives day by day as Christ comes near to us and reveals in part what one day will surely be. We know this to be true, for the one who promised is faithful. Praise and glory, thanksgiving and honor be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I want to invite you to reflect on that two-part reality of this consummation, this kingdom. And the first part is that we're waiting for it. And so I wonder if you could reflect on what about God's coming kingdom 
do you find your heart yearning for the most? And maybe write that down because this next season is a season of waiting, of anticipation. And I think your answer to that first question would be a great thing to pray about through the whole season of Advent. And then the second question is in what ways has Christ already brought his kingdom near to you or used you to bring the kingdom near to others? We'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect on these things and to pray to God.